Take your Bibles tonight and find the Gospel of Mark chapter 2. Very familiar story, Mark's Gospel chapter number 2. And I'm preaching tonight on this subject, who is in the house tonight? Who is in the house tonight? From Mark 2, would you stand for the reading of the Word of God? Everybody standing? I'm in the second chapter of Mark, and I'm going to read the first 12 verses. Verse 1 says, and again he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noise that he was in the house. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was not enough room or no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. When they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. When they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there, reasoning in their hearts. Why did this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? And immediately, when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether it is, easy, is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, Arise, take up thy bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise. Take up thy bed and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Let me tell you what they said. We ain't never seen nothing like this before. That's what they said. See, this was southern Capernaum, you understand? So that's how they talked. I'm preaching tonight on this subject, Who is in the house tonight? Who's in the house tonight? tonight. Thank God for the reading of his book. Please be seated. Let's pray together. God, my heart is so overwhelmed at the blessing I've received from this dear fellowship. God, I thank you, Lord, for what you've done during these short days. God, you've done much. God, I thank you, Lord, for those that have assembled in this house tonight. God, now would you do that which I cannot work up or manufacture. God, would you send me that anointing, that unction, God, would you loose me and let me go? And I want my enemy to know there's no place on this property that he is welcome tonight. God, would you surround this place with your holy angels? And God, I promise you will not praise any puny man or woman for what you'll do tonight. We'll praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Psalm 122:1 said, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. I still love that story of the businessman that traveled every weekend, and no matter where he was, he went to church in a different state. No matter where he was on Sunday, he'd go to church. One Sunday, he was in California, went into the big church in California to visit, walked into the lobby. In the lobby of that church, they had a sparkling golden telephone, 24-karat gold, sign over that phone said $10,000 a minute. The man saw the pastor come by. He said, Preacher, what's his phone mean? Preacher said, Oh, son, that's a direct line to heaven. For $10,000 a minute, you can call heaven directly. And this went on for the next few weeks, no matter where he was, Arizona and Arkansas and Pennsylvania and Virginia and Washington. No matter where he was, they had them golden telephones, and the sign said $10,000 a minute. But then one week, he was in Georgia, and he came to church in Maysville, 
And he walked in the lobby and he noticed they had one of them golden telephones, but there was a sign above the phone that said free. At about that time, pastor walked by and Brother Shane walked by and he said, Preacher, I don't understand it. said, I've been in churches all over the country and they got them same golden telephones, said $10,000 a minute, but here I come here to Maysville and it's free. I don't understand it. Brother Shane looked at him and said, Well, buddy, you're in Georgia now. From here, it's just a local call. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you, I like Georgia, and I like Maysville, and I love this church, but I'm going to tell everybody right now, when you come in here, there's no golden telephone, and it don't cost a dime to call heaven because it's already paid for. And once the child of God comes in the house of God, he can talk directly to God because the Son of God's already in the house. I think I'll say that one more time. He's in the house. I want you to understand Jesus is here. And that's exactly where he was in Capernaum, teenagers. Jesus was in the house. I want you to get a mental picture. He's in that little fishing village on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And the Bible said when Jesus was in the house over there, everybody wanted to come. That's what it says in verse 1. The Bible says, and again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. Son, that word noise means advertised, but it means to say it with a great excitement. Everybody got a picture? Hey, y'all, Jesus is over there in that house right there. Come on, bring your relatives and bring your rejects. Bring your kids and bring your kinfolk. Jesus is right over there in that house. And my land, who wouldn't want to be in the same house with Jesus? Because, son, when Jesus is in the house, hope is in the house. And when Jesus is in the house, healing's in the house. And when Jesus is in the house, heaven's in the house. And who wouldn't want to be with Jesus? So I'm going to make the statement one more time. You might have had the worst Monday at work you've ever had in your life but can I give you a good word one more time right now he's in the house he's in this house but he's not by himself for you see I'm looking at this building brother Shane we got a bunch of folks here from this wall to this wall from that back wall to this platform we got a bunch of folks here so it begs the question who else is in the house who's in the house with Jesus and I want to ask that question tonight. Who's in the house tonight? For I believe there were four different kind of people, four different kind of people in the house with Jesus that night. And I believe those same four people are in the house tonight. I'm going to ask it in the form of four questions. Number one, who in this house is committed to the Savior? I want to ask that one more time. Who in this house is committed to the Savior? For the Bible says in verse 2, and straightway many were gathered together. Teenagers, that word gathered means assembled. So there's an assembly. They're having a church service exactly like we're having tonight. Monday night church service. I am, I am a, a man that was raised in a Baptist church. My daddy for 60 years was a Baptist preacher. I was in the Baptist church all the time. As someone has said, I was Baptist born, Baptist bred, and when I die, I'll be Baptist dead. I mean, I've been in a Baptist church all my life. I was in a Baptist church nine months before I made an appearance. I was in a Baptist church. I was in a Baptist church back in those days, Brother David. We didn't have the wonderful thing called Awanas. We had RAs. I'm dating myself, and I had RAs. Son, I was there in RAs. I was there in vacation. Bible school, I was there in Sunday school, I was there for potlucks, I was there for dinner on the ground, I was there for gospel sings, and on top of that, back in those days, we lived by the church. 
Pastorum was by the church. So I played at the church. I rode my bicycle down the church sidewalks. I played catch with myself by bouncing the ball off the wall of the church and the sidewalk to come to my glove. I played in the church when I wasn't going to church, and I went every day. And I'm here to tell y'all, I'm ashamed of it now, but when I was about nine years old, I'd had it. I'd been to church, and I'd had it. And that week was vacation Bible school week, and we'd had commencement night on Friday night, and I'd had enough church that week for my nine-year-old body. I just didn't want to walk to church no more. Sunday morning, my godly mama walked in the room. My brother and I slept in the same room, said, get up, boys. It's time to get ready for church. My brother got up, started to get ready. Not me. I laid in bed. I remember as a nine-year-old, I said, mama, not going today, not going. She looked at me, I said, I've, been, I've had enough church this week, been in church all week, not going. My mama didn't say one word to me. She closed the bedroom door, heard her walk down the hall, she closed the front door, and I thought, well, I told her, son, I've gotten away with it. That's what I've done. A few minutes, I heard the front door open. My mama stepped down the hall. She opened my bedroom door, and my mama stood there with a switch from a hibiscus bush. And she had taken the leaves off. Son, we're talking serious torque right now. I mean that. And she said, big boy, you can get up right now or I'll spank your behind through those pajamas with this switch. You know what I did, students? I thought about it for, I don't know, about a second and a half. And I want you to know I made a choice for my own safety and welfare. I made a choice. I chose to get up and go to church. Now, I made the same choice today. I chose to get dressed from my hotel room Get in pastor's truck that I'm driving and drive over to church. Say, well, preacher, you had to go to church. Pastor will send you home. You had to go to church because you're the preacher. You had to go to church because you're supposed to be here. Oh, no, that's not true. I made a choice to come to church tonight because I want to be with the saints of God in the presence of God, praising the name of Jehovah. Can I just tell everybody something? Son, it's not that I've got to go to church. It's that I get to go to church. I'm telling you, when you're committed to the Savior, you want to be in the house of God. Now, I know I'm preaching to the choir right now. I'm preaching to a big crowd on a Monday night of a revival. So I'm not going to be on this point terribly long. But I want to just stress the importance of church going. And I want to tell you what it means to be committed to the Savior. A couple of quick things. Number one, when you're committed to the Savior, you're committed to be in the presence of the Lord. Look what he says in verse 2. And straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them. No, not so much as about the door. And scholars agree. That word door means the gate. So scholars believe not only were they in the house, they were spilled onto the outer court. They were shoulder to shoulder. They were standing against the walls. They were in the windows. I mean, you talked about a jam-packed house, and the Bible said spilling out on the court because the Bible teaches us they wanted to be in the presence of the Lord. Brother Shane, I know I'm in a wonderful church this week, but I'm going to preach it just like I'm going to preach it anywhere. Not everybody that professes Jesus anymore thinks going to church is important. I mean, they just don't. I want you to know Sunday is not the important day that it used to be. I was on an airplane last July traveling to Charlotte, North Carolina to preach at the North Carolina Evangelism Conference. And I don't do a lot of that anymore. Most of my revivals are Sunday through Wednesday, and there's 42 or three of those a year. So I don't go out much on Thursday or Friday, except with my wife. But I had that one night event, and I decided to do it because Jacksonville has a late afternoon flight that goes directly to Charlotte. And I was going to go preach and be on the 1030 flight out of Charlotte that night back home by 11.30 or so, and only lived nine miles from the airport, so it's going to be an easy day. I wanted to go be a blessing to preachers, so I went. 
preacher, I'm on that plane, and I got on my coat, and I got on my tie, and I got my briefcase, and I'm getting ready to go to work, as it were, and everybody else is coming home. And the guy sitting next to me couldn't get over the fact that I was going to an engagement. Didn't tell him what I was doing yet. I waited. I just waited on purpose. And I was just sitting there, and he began to talk. And I fly Delta. So he asked me how much I flew Delta. I said, I'm a frequent flyer. I fly Delta 30 times a year. He looked at me and said, are you a member of the Delta Club? I said, no. He said, they got great beer in the Delta Club. Not only that, they got great liquor in the Delta Club. And he began to talk about his drinking life. About that time the flight attendant walked by, he told me how hot he thought she was. And then he began to talk about his football team and dropped in a few bad words when he talked about the kind of season they were going to have. And then we went on to Charlotte. We landed in Charlotte. And as we're pulling up to the gate, that old boy once again asked me what I was doing. I said, well, I'm on my way to an engagement. He said, well, do you have time to come by the Delta Club? I said, I'd like to buy you a beer. It's on me. I said, no, no, I'll be late. I got to go. He said, now, what is it you do? And that's when I said, I am a Baptist evangelist, and I'm on my way to preach the Bible at an evangelism conference to a bunch of preachers. I cannot describe the color that that man turned. I can't describe it. And that man looked at me with his mouth open and apologized. He said, preacher, sorry about the drinking. Sorry about the comment about the woman. Sorry about uh, the cuss words. And then he said something I wish I hadn't heard. He said, I'm a Baptist too. I could have gone all day without hearing that, son. He said, I'm a Baptist too. I just don't go to church like I ought to. I'm going to say it one more time. Ladies and gentlemen, there's no excuse for a professing, believing child of God not to want to go to church. There's no excuse. And again, I'm preaching to the Monday night crowd. It's come to revival. And I love you. I'm not a bit mad. I love you. But are you going to be in church this year when the game goes past midnight on ESPN on Saturday night and you got to drag yourself out of bed on Sunday morning to go to the house of God? Are you going to be in church when you don't have anything else to do or something else doesn't come up? Because, folks, according to statistics, 70% of all professing Christians in America will not be in church next Sunday morning. And they are not folks that are sick and working. I was glad. I've already quoted it. I was glad when they said it to me. I want to go to the house of the Lord. Nehemiah 10 39 says we will not neglect the house of God. That means to let loose or let go. It's the picture of a man after many years of faithful marriage walking away from his wife to be with another woman. I'm telling you it is the mark of a child of God washed in the blood of the lamb, filled with the Holy Ghost, got brothers and sisters in the faith. I'm not going to want to be somewhere else on Sunday morning. I want to be with the people of God because it's great to go to church to go to church committed to the Savior that means I'm committed to be in the presence of the Lord but I want to throw this one in before I go to the second point not only are we committed to be in the presence of the Lord well I need this one brother Shane we're committed to be under the preaching of the word for look at the last line of verse 2 he preached the word unto them you know what the, you know what the word preach means to lay out in other words it's more than just to speak he's talking about passion it means to lay out the preaching of the word can I ask you a question? How's your appetite? How's your appetite? Do you know everybody has an appetite? Whether you're saved or lost, you've got an appetite. I'm not talking about the physical appetite, men, of the wonderful meal you just had. I'm talking about everybody's got an appetite. And that appetite is going to be filled by something. It's going to be filled by, for some it's money, for some it's sports, for some it's entertainment, for some it's movies, for some it's drugs, 
For some, it's alcohol. That appetite is going to be filled by something. And Brother Shane, I'm sad to report the reason maybe there's some professing Christians when they get to church that don't have an appetite for the Word of God is because they're full of something else. Because if you're a blood-bought child of God, this is the book that we need to sustain us. And I'm not talking about some dry, dull, boring preaching. I don't want to hear dry, dull, boring preaching. And aren't y'all glad you got a preacher sitting here on the front row that preaches with a little passion, son? I mean, when he preaches, he lays it out, man. I'm talking about preaching the Word of God. Because the Bible tells us it's exciting. Teenagers, there's nothing boring about this book. I mean, this is not the book of the month, son. It's the book of the ages. Had a girl in my student camp preacher ask me two years ago, 17 years old. She said, Brother Rick, what is the greatest thrill spiritually you've ever had in your life? That's a question. Can you imagine a 17-year-old girl ask me that question, the greatest spiritual thrill in my life outside of my salvation? Wow. I thought about that for a moment. And then it suddenly came out. I said, I'll tell you what it is, dear. The greatest spiritual experience of my life is that for the last 40 years, especially the last 30, night after night, week after week, I get to stand in some church and preach out of the same book. And I've watched God take this book and you would use it as a glue to put a marriage back together. I've watched God take this book and use it as a stick of dynamite to blow sin out of a man's heart. I've watched God take this book and use it as a bomb to heal a hurting soul. Folks, I can't explain it, but something supernatural happens when the man of God gets full of the Spirit of God, stands in the house of God, opens the Word of God, and preaches to the people of God. I'm telling you there ain't nothing like it because the Bible says it's by the foolishness of preaching and there's power in the word of God. I love the story of Spurgeon. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the great preacher. Spurgeon, when the great London Metropolitan Tabernacle opened up, seated thousands of people. It was the largest church ever built in its day. Spurgeon went in that Friday. I love this story to check the acoustics. Didn't have a nice sound system like we've got here. He was checking the acoustics and they had the wooden ceiling and the wooden floors. It just resonated. And Spurgeon went in and stood behind the pulpit to that empty church, those thousands of empty seats. Preacher, he didn't know what to say. So he decided to quote a verse of Scripture. You know what he quoted? Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. It sounded so good coming back at him. He said it again. I said, behold. The Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. He didn't know behind closed doors on the other side was the custodian who was picking stuff up for the dedication service on Sunday. And when Sunday morning came, that custodian walked down the aisle and came to Spurgeon and told the great preacher, I need to get saved. And Dr. Spurgeon said, man, what's going on? You came down because you need to get saved. I thought you were saved. He said, no, no. He said, I'm lost. He said, you didn't know I was on the other side of the door on Sunday morning. And when you got up and quoted scripture, I want you to know the word of God pierced my heart. Conviction came to my soul. And I've been waiting for two days to get saved. Folks, that only happens by the word of God. By the word of God. I didn't mean to spend so much time on that point because you're here on a Monday night. But I'm going to ask you one more time. Is there anybody here committed to the Savior? Amen. Second, going to get good now. Number two. Who in this house is committed to the Savior? Number two, who in this house is concerned for souls? Say it again. Who's committed to the Savior? Who's concerned for souls? Look what it says in verse 3. And they come unto him bringing one sick of the palsy, 
which was born of four teenagers. That word palsies, where we get our English word paralytic or paralyzed. You know what it means in the Greek? It literally means loosed on one side. Whether he was born that way or whether an accident happened, oh, we don't know. But for some reason, the Bible said he's paralyzed. His arms just hung limp at his side. His legs just hung like noodles. I mean, the man could not walk. And preacher, I love this story. I got a picture of four old boys, stretcher bearers. I'm going to say that one more time. Stretcher bearers. No, you do know that's what we are, don't you? We're holy stretcher bearers, brother. And those stretcher bearers, one on each corner, are bringing that old boy to church that day. What an incredible picture. I pastored two churches. Second church, I pastored a great church in Fernandina Beach, Florida. I was there six years before going into traveling evangelism. And back then, I don't know, David, I was barely 30 years old, and we had a lot of students and young adult men in that church, and we played basketball. Back in those days, we, we lived in a house right by the church. We'd not bought our, our own home yet. We lived in that house right by the church. We were playing basketball. Every Thursday night, guys, we'd play basketball. And that had a big old huge wide driveway. And put a big old floodlights out there. Basketball goal was on the top of the garage, the backboard. The garage was open. And we'd just play basketball at that goal. Played every Thursday night. And one Thursday night in the month of May, we're playing. And all of a sudden, Bruce pulls up. Oh, Bruce pulls up and stops. Bruce was one of our seniors in high school. And all of a sudden, Bruce gets out of his car, and this crippled fella gets out of the car named Daryl. Daryl gets out of the car, and Daryl's got those metal crutches that wrap around the arms up here. And old Daryl's coming. Found out later, Daryl's from a dysfunctional family. Dad's an alcoholic. Daryl knows nothing about the gospel, cares nothing about church. Bruce brought him to play basketball. I'm amazed to watch that crippled young man play basketball. Suddenly, he would get out there and lean on one crutch, and take that ball in that big hand of his, and he drained that thing from 20 feet. One time he was guarding me, I went to shoot, and he blocked my shot with his crutch. I thought, son, that's not fair. He just swatted my shot with his crutch. Old Daryl cussed two or three times, because that's what lost people do, and he just cussed. We got ready to go. Daryl played with us three hours. We didn't break up every night until after 10 o'clock or so. And old Daryl got ready to go, and he's walking off on his crutches. And one of the young men said, hey, Daryl, come to church Sunday. Daryl said, no, no, I don't have a way, and he didn't drive in those days. Bruce said, well, I'll bring you. So Sunday morning, Bruce brought him to church. Sunday night, Bruce couldn't come because he had a part-time job that took him away on Sunday night. So Randy said, I'll take him Sunday night. So Randy brought him on Sunday night. And for weeks, those two boys alternated bringing Daryl to church, Randy and Bruce. And then Troy, one of those boys from the basketball court, began to bring him on Wednesday night. And those three guys began to bring old Daryl to church. And then James got involved. And those four guys, for about six weeks, took turns bringing old Daryl to church. And back in those days, our church had our own student camp. Boy, we invited Daryl to come. Daryl didn't have no money. We didn't have scholarships and all. We thought about those things in those days. What a wonderful gesture when a church does that. Those four boys pooled their money together, and they paid Daryl's way. And that crippled boy went to camp. Everybody knows what happened at camp. Everybody knows what happened to Daryl. Oh, Daryl got saved. You know what Daryl's doing? Daryl's, oh, a little over 50 years old today. Can I tell you what old Daryl's doing today? Last Sunday morning, Daryl preached at the church in Florida that he pastors. 
And they had about 1,400 people in the Sunday morning service. He preached two morning services to about 700 people. He is a bold preacher of the Word of God. They lead people to Christ. He is a young man in the ministry that I've watched grow in the Lord. I'm telling you, that church is reaching people for Jesus. I've had the privilege to preach there many times. And can I tell you all something? Every time I think about Daryl, you know what I think about, preacher? Thank God for Daryl's reward. It will be great in heaven, but I'm going to tell you who else is going to join in with that reward. You want me to tell you? Bruce and Randy and James and Troy because it often takes a team to bring somebody to Jesus. Understand? Sometimes somebody doesn't come to Jesus, just one. It's from you and you and you and you. And buddy, here they come now. You got a picture? These stretcher bearers. What? Here's old Bruce and Troy and James and Randy, and they're bringing this old boy to Jesus. And when they get to church that day, they can't get in because they got a record crowd. It's standing room only, and this boy can't even stand up. So they don't know what they're going to do. And one of them says, hey, let's go on the roof. Gets good now, son. Look what it says in verse 4. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the crowd, the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. When they'd broken it up, they let him down. You got a picture? Students, in those days, Bible roofs were made out of dried palm branches. And the dried palm branches was over hardened dirt. And the hardened dirt was over wooden beams. I got a picture of these four old boys, preacher. They're down there on their knees now on top of that flat roof, and they're digging it up. They're breaking it up. Are you kidding me? Can you imagine? Not, not one of them said, hey, let's take him to the roof. And the old boy said, no, no, we might fall. Let's say, oh, no, we, we might drop him. Let's say, oh, no, what in the world is everybody going to think? Bible said they took him to the roof, and all of a sudden, dirt's falling in on the worshipers. Would you look at that? Don't you tell me some of them didn't get ticked off. They're there to hear Jesus Christ, and now dirt's falling in on them. The service is being interrupted. Oh, get real, man. You know some old ornery Baptist will look up and say, stop it. All of a sudden, they're turning the roof into a sunroof, man. All of a sudden, they're interrupting the king of kings. All of a sudden, they're opening the roof up to let an old boy down to Jesus. I mean, the homeowner's probably going for his home insurance policy. I mean, they're probably facing some kind of a, I don't know, a lawsuit. And I guarantee you, while the roof's opening up, some dry old dead Baptist is looking up saying, stop it, we ain't never done it that way before. That ain't in the bylaws. <laughs> but bless God, they opened that roof up. And I'm going to tell you all something before I go to my next point. Nobody else in the house might have been excited, but there was one person excited. Verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the sick of the palsy, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Can I ask you because I love you, what excites you? What excites you? Anybody get excited when the Georgia Bulldogs win? Oh, yeah. Don't look at me. I know the man on the front row gets excited when Alabama wins. I know that. I get excited when Florida wins. Don't experience it a lot anymore, but I get excited when Florida wins. Folks, I get excited when I get a love note from my wife. I got a little love note on Easter tucked in my socks and underwear in my suitcase, and I giggle like a little boy. I get excited when I see my grandchildren. You know what excites Jesus? Are you listening? It excites Jesus when we bring people to Jesus, son. That excites the king of kings. 
You got a chance to bring somebody to Jesus. Look at me in Maysville because I love you. You see a lot of people get saved here. Don't ever take that for granted. Don't ever think it's somebody else's job. All of us are stretcher bearers. All of us are involved in bringing people for Jesus. May it never get old. May, may we never get weary, preacher, of seeing that baptistry water stirred. May it never get to be a drudgery. May it always be fresh because that's a soul that once was lost but now is found. Once was on the way to hell but now is on the way to heaven. You got two more nights to bring somebody to Jesus. Son, you can bring somebody to Jesus just inviting them to church. Hey, I was preaching in your state of Georgia last year at the Northside Baptist Church in Valdosta. Y'all know where Valdosta is. Dr. Robbie Foster, wonderful pastor preacher. I'd been there two years before to the day almost, and he gave me a piece of paper. It's documented. Got it on my file in Jacksonville, Florida. He gave it to me. He said, Brother Rick, can I tell you a story to tell everybody? I said, yeah. He said, we had a friend day when you were two years ago. They had a friend day this year on Sunday. Said, I had a friend day. Everybody invite somebody friend day? He said, Brother Rick, the shyest woman in our church is named Nancy. Preacher, I can't describe Nancy. Nancy doesn't want to talk to anybody, not, not because she's rude. She's so introverted. Said she turns red. Said she breaks out a little rash in her neck. She can't look at a stranger in the face to talk to him. But she got such a burden about a co-worker named Tiffany to bring her to friend day. He said, you got to understand the shyest woman in our church. She prayed about it for weeks. Finally, Bill of courage to ask her to come to church. She invited Tiffany to come to church. He said, Rick, you don't understand what that took. And that Sunday morning, Tiffany came to church. Tiffany didn't want to come alone, so she brought her 16-year-old daughter with her. Came to church. And I didn't remember it exactly like this. It's because folks were saved that day. But that 16-year-old daughter got saved. And the next Sunday morning, she got baptized. And when she did, Tiffany's husband, the girl's father, came to watch his girl get baptized. And when the invitation was given, he walked down the aisle and got saved. And the next Sunday morning, Tiffany herself, the third week, walked down the aisle and got saved. And they got so turned on for the Lord, they started inviting all their kinfolk and all their family, their cousins and their nieces and their nephews. And I, Brother David, I've got it written down on paper in my office. Over the next six weeks, 22 people got saved and baptized from that one family, 22 people. That church grew by 22 people because the shyest woman in the church opened her mouth and just invited somebody to come to church. When's the last time you came to an altar and wept for a lost soul? When's the last time you prayed during the night for that lost friend? When's the last time you cared enough to tell somebody about Jesus? Number three, I'm going to hurry. Number three, I'm going to ask two questions. Who in this house is committed to the Savior? Who in this house is concerned for souls? And preacher, we've had a good time, but it's going to get quiet now. Number three, who in this house has a critical spirit? It's right here. It's in the Word of God. For the Bible says in verse 6, but there were certain of the scribes sitting there. And I've been a Baptist all my life. Every time I read that, I want to say, but there were certain of the Baptists sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Don't look at me like you know what I'm talking about. Son, I was a Baptist before I got saved. I'm going to say that one more time. I was a Baptist before I got saved. So I've been in a Baptist church all my life, and I'm not being critical of Baptists, but can I make everybody aware of what you already know? There's gripers among us. Oh, come on, son. There's gripers there in the day of Jesus. I mean, there's some folks, they just going to gripe. I mean, they believe it's a spiritual gift. I mean, they just believe griping and judging and evaluating is what they're supposed to. Oh, come on. I was preaching a revival in Tennessee. And they had dinner on the ground. It was dinner on the ground Sunday, revival, and they had fried chicken. And I mean, man, I love fried chicken. 
I'm a preacher, Baptist preacher. You know what a preacher's belt is? It's a leather fence around a chicken graveyard. Y'all understand that? Son, we're eating fried chicken, buddy. And this one preacher, I'll never forget, this woman comes up and she didn't know me. Got a little baby, precious little baby crying on this hip. And another little child, her husband didn't come that day, he was sick or something. And that woman didn't know me. She didn't say, I like you, don't like you, I wish you had hair. Or that woman, she's, she looked at me and she lit into me. She said, we won't be back to revival. You're way too fast for us. And I'm choking on my drumstick. I didn't know how to re- respond to that. But buddy, before I could respond, and I did, she turned and lit into the preacher, buddy. And you know what she said? She said, oh, preacher, don't worry. We're not coming back anyway. She said, do you know how long it takes me to walk up that hill? We don't get here until right before Sunday school. You need to have a place for minivans, mothers, and children right by the door. She actually said that. And then she gripped about the time I want to start. And then Philip, she gripped about the music. And she gripped about the temperature in the building. Her and her husband freeze to death every Sunday they come. And that woman began to go through that list. And I'm going to tell you before God, she gripped a whole lot faster. And I was talking, son, when I was preaching. And then all of a sudden, She turned to that pastor and said, well, it don't matter. We ain't going to be back anyway. And she turned and spun and walked off. And I looked at the preacher. I said, did you hear what she said? He said, what? I said, she's not coming back to revival this week. He said, what are you complaining about? She'll be back next Sunday, and I got to deal with her, man. (laughs) Folks, do you understand gripers have always been around? The Bible says in verse 7, watch it, watch it. Why did this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? I mean, come on, man. They griped it. They griped at Moses. The children of Israel had a water problem. They griped at the Red Sea because there was too much water. They griped at Mara because there was bitter water. They griped at Rephidim because they had no water. And then Moses got so mad he beat the rock. Probably wanted to beat half of them over the head with that stick. But he beat the rock. Y'all remember? God wouldn't let him see the promised land. Folks, there's always, listen, there's always been gripers in the church. Always. I understand that. And I love you. Did I tell you I love you? I'm not hammering anybody. Somebody here might have had some circumstance in your life and it's caused a bitter spirit. Maybe some pastor failed you or maybe some church member or maybe somebody said something you didn't like. People make mistakes, but Jesus has never failed you. He has never made a mistake in your life. But that stuff sideswipes us. And pretty soon, we come to church, and instead of enjoying church, we're evaluating everything. But Jesus knows it. Verse 8, and immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that, that they so reasoned within themselves, he said, why do you reason these things in your hearts? Look at, look at me, student, before I go to my final point. The mastermind reader's in the house right now. He knows exactly what you're thinking. Aren't you glad, preacher, our thoughts can't be flashed up on the wall like PowerPoint? Well, they're flashed up before Jesus. He sees them right now. Are you listening? Right now. He not only knows what you're going to think or what you're thinking, he knows it before you think it. I love you. There might be somebody here to experience revival. You need that old unforgiving spirit set free, that bondage of bitterness. Preacher, that second church I pastored, we had a man that did not like me at all. I was barely 30. Our church was growing. We were building buildings, and it bothered him, and he had a lot of money, but it just bothered him, and he tried to sow discord. Tried to meet with him a couple times, but he just wouldn't talk to me. He'd go to our deacons. We had a bunch of deacons, and he'd go to one deacon after the other, and they'd come to me and say he's sowing discord among them, and I'd see him, but he wouldn't speak to me. 
It occurred to me the six years I was his pastor, he never spoke to me in any kind of encouragement. It was ugly. And then he left the church. I watched him, preacher. And I don't mean sitting in the back is bad. I don't mean that at all. But this old boy used to sit on the second row. I watched him move to the middle, to the back, to the front of the balcony, to the back of the balcony, and out the front door. He was gone. He left our church. It occurred to me, preacher, he never gave me any encouragement. But about 15 years ago, I was preaching a revival meeting in that area. And he was there. He walked up to me after the service. The first thing he did when he saw me was walk straight up to me and give me a big old bear hug. Never forget that. He looked at me with tears in his eyes and said, Brother Rick, I love you. Then he reached in his pocket and pulled out a check to our ministry. Not to me, but to our ministry. Put it in my pocket. He said, I want you to forgive me. I never, ever encouraged you. I was always negative. He looked at me preaching with tears streaming down his face. said, but I got right with God. I got right with the Lord. He said, I went to church and the Holy Spirit convicted me of all the bitterness in my life. And this is not a preacher's word. This is a direct quote. I give you this. He looked at me and he said, I'll tell you what Jesus did, preacher. He said, Jesus grabbed me and squeezed the sour right out of me. Anybody need to get squeezed tonight? The sour squeezers in the house right now. I'm closing right now. Number four, and I'm done. Who in this house is committed to the Savior? Number two, who in this house is concerned for souls? Number three, who in this house has a critical spirit? And I'm done right now. Number four, who in this house came to be saved? I'm going to ask that one more time. Who in this house came to be saved? Some of you came to be saved. You didn't even know it. Well, look what the Bible says now. Boy, this is good. This is good. Teenagers won't take a test now. Look at the question my Jesus asked. Boy, this is good. Whether is it easier to save the sick of the palsy? Thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say to rise, take up thy bed and walk. Question, question. Jesus asked a question, y'all. Which is easier for me to do? Is it easier for me to heal this man's body or save his soul? Anybody got the answer? I'll tell you the answer. You know the answer. Which is easier to heal this man's body or save his soul? Come on, son. It's easier to heal his body. Healing the body just takes a breath. Healing the soul takes the blood. Healing the body just takes a sentence. Healing the soul takes a sacrifice. Because everybody understand before I wrap this simple sermon up, this man's chief problem was not his crippled limbs. His chief problem was his sin. See, this man didn't just need to be raised up physically. That's not the most important. Can I put it to you like this? His sickness was his pressing problem, but his sin was his primary problem. See, we get all focused on the pressing problems. Preachers have people all the time say, why do drunk drivers kill? Why does cancer come? Why do little babies die? Why do we have terrorism? We need to read the first three chapters of the book of Genesis. It is because there's sin in the world. It's not God's fault. God came to take care of the primary problem. The problem is sin. And what can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. It's his sin. And then Jesus, after he poses the question, it's time to put up or shut up. Those Pharisees are asking Jesus to put up. And Jesus says, boys, it's time to shut up. Because I'm going to go ahead and heal this old boy. But I'm going to do it just to show you I am who I said I am. In the name of Jesus, rise and get up. And by the way, your sins be forgiven you. Can I tell you something tonight? I love you. If you go to the doctor tomorrow lost friend, and your DNA says you've got cancer. The world stops. You call everybody you love. You get put on every prayer list you can get put on because it's horrible. The C word, it's in my fa- been in my family. It's horrible. 
It is the most important thing in your world. But you got a greater disease than cancer, lost friend of mine. Sin. And so I don't care if you got abs of steel. I don't care if, if, if you're a super stud. It's still going to take six men to carry you out of this church one day. Because you're going to die. And you're going to die in that sin. And some of you cool students think, I've been in church all my life. I've heard all this before. But I'm telling you, walking an aisle doesn't save you. Being dunked in water don't save you. Being a member of the Maysville Baptist Church don't save you. It's not enough to meet the pastor. You've got to meet the master. It's not enough to get dunked in water. You've got to get baptized in the blood. The greatest problem is still sin. And the greatest Savior is still Jesus. It's preaching in Monroe, North Carolina. I'm closing. It was pack a pew night, preacher. That was one of them country churches that had just one center aisle and long wooden pews. That one didn't even have cushions. Can y'all imagine? And on that night, I'm telling you, it was wall-to-wall people. It was jam-packed. And I was preaching on hell, preacher. And I came down to the end of the platform on the floor, just like I am right now, to wrap that sermon up, preaching on hell. And I'm not making this up. This isn't a preacher story. This whole front row is jammed shoulder to shoulder. Imagine this is the center aisle, and all of a sudden, something catches my eye peripherally. And I look up, preacher, and this huge man, huge man, stands up on the second row. I mean, this guy was a beast. I mean, this guy was cut. And that old boy stands up in the service. He did something I'd never seen before. He took his leg. I can't even do it, I don't think. I'm not going to try. He took his leg and put his foot all the way up on the pew in front of him, y'all, and stood straight up. Can you imagine? Look, 20 feet tall. Stood straight up and stepped between two women's ears. Now, two different women, not the same woman, all right? I I mean, bless God, he didn't knock a woman's head off. He stepped between two women's ears. And the guy, preacher, kind of vaulted and stood in front of me. I'm here, and he's about where Pastor Shane is. He's that close, and he's glaring at me. And it's a weird age. And I preached on hell. I just don't know what he's going to do. And I'm praying, guardian angel, be on call now. You be right here. Now, son, that old boy was only there half a second, but it seemed like five minutes. But Shane, he wasn't coming for me. He was coming for Jesus. And that old boy rushed past me and fell on his knees at the altar. And the preacher come and put his arms around him. That old boy got saved. And after the service, that big old giant of a man come up and hugged me. I said, Brother Rick, I saw the look on your face. Hope I didn't scare you. I said, nah, you didn't scare me. He said, preacher, I couldn't wait one more second. I needed Jesus right now. Somebody here needs Jesus right now. Are you listening? He's in the house. Bow with me all over the building. Stand to your feet with those heads bowed and eyes closed all over the house. Pastor Shane is coming to the front. Pastor David is coming to the front. And I'm going to go... From backwards forwards, when I say backwards, the most important thing I'll mention will be last. It's revival time. Amen. We got Brother J.R., we got Brother Pastor, we got Brother David all at the front. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. It's revival time. Revival's for the church. The church needs revival. Lost people need Bible. Church, it's revival time. We've had wonderful altar calls, but that's what revival's about. It's about the altar. Pastor Shane, unashamedly, I'm speaking to Maysville about personal revival tonight. Unashamedly. And here's the invitation. I'm going to invite somebody that's lost their appetite for the Word of God to come. 
Some of you started the year with a commitment to have a daily quiet time, but you've gotten away from that. Not because you're bad, but because you're busy. I'm going to invite you to do something tonight that's accountable. I'm going to invite you to bring your Bibles. I'm not legalistic. Bring your Bibles. And if you've got your Bible on your smartphone, bring your phone. Get on your knees at this altar with that Bible before you. And you commit that beginning tomorrow, once again, you're going to be in the Word of God. Day by day, ask God to give you an appetite for the book. Again, I'm going to ask you to do that. Brother Shane, I know this straightforward. I'm going to invite somebody with a critical spirit. Somebody that's got a critical spirit. Somebody the devil's just worked on bitterness in your life to come lay it down before the Lord at this altar and walk away from this altar and say, I'm leaving that critical spirit right there. I'm walking away clean. Jesus, squeeze the sour out of me. And then finally, does anybody need to get saved? Say, Rick, I don't know how to do that. I'm inviting you to leave your seat in a moment and walk down one of these aisles. That does not save you. Get to one of our men of God and they'll be free. I'll, I'll be here to greet you. Come up to me. I'll be on the floor. Say, I need to get saved. Somebody here needs our Jesus. You got the disease. God, thank you for the privilege to preach tonight. Thank you for your arresting power that's in this place. God, save somebody for your glory right now. God, move among the church right now. Set somebody free from bitterness right now. God, will praise you in Jesus' precious name, I pray. And the music's beginning right now. There is a fountain Oh, sweet. Oh, won't you come to Jesus? Come to Jesus. Lose all the guilty stains. Oh, let's sing it to Jesus. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for the blood of Jesus. And thank you for what we've heard tonight, Lord. Your man brought your message. And Lord, it's impacted my heart. Thank you for that. Revival stirring in our souls. We love you, Jesus. And all the saved washed in the blood said, Amen. Amen.